No. Good morning. Um, if any of you are surprised to see me up here this morning, giving me first preach, that makes two of us. But hopefully, hopefully it'll all go okay. So this morning, we are going to Luke 15, 11 to 32. And that's the prodigal son. But before we do that, I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you that we can spend this time together with you listening to your word. Um, we ask that you'd help us to hear what you have to say and that you'd speak to each of our hearts this morning as we bring our lives and our struggles to you. Amen. Okay. The parable of the last son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. But when he came home, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and it's found. Now, back at the start of this chapter, in verse 1, we didn't read it, but it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In response to their complaints and protests, Jesus hit them with three parables about redemption and reconciliation. These parables were intended to tell of God's grace and mercy to the non-Jewish people and sinners, and to show the hard hearts of the Jewish leaders. So we come to the parables of the lost sheep, 
the lost coin and the lost son, or the prodigal son. I think these days, if someone had asked their father for their inheritance, it wouldn't seem like too big of a deal. And some people might even think it was practical in some circumstances. But back in Jesus' day, you couldn't say the same thing. It was a really big deal. For any son to ask for his inheritance before his father had died was absolutely outrageous and dishonorable. It was like saying that he couldn't wait for his father to be dead to get his inheritance. Think of the worst insult you could muster today, and you kind of get the idea of what it would be like. In reality, back in Jesus' day, the son would be disowned and literally kicked out of the family for that type of insult. In that culture and time, the father would be expected to assert his authority and uphold his family's honor. So the son would be kicked out, because this was an outrage. It was a really big deal. But Jesus said the father in this story allowed it. And not only did he allow it, even though the son no longer wanted to be called his son, the father chose to remain the young man's father, something that would have been unheard of. Uh, so off the youngest went, turning his back on his father and his family, rejecting them all and living as he pleased. Before long he'd blown it all. So off the youngest went, turning his back on his father and his family, rejecting them all and living as he pleased. Before long he'd blown it all, every penny or shekel or gold coin, and now he was left with nothing. Penniless and starving with his life ebbing away, reality was kicking in for the first time, and it was horrific. He found his circumstances had changed dramatically as a famine now seized the land that he had chosen to live in. He was in dire need. He took a job looking after pigs, a job that Jews were forbidden to take. Jews were forbidden to touch pigs or be anywhere near him. And he was longing for the food that the pigs ate, but no one would give him any. He'd hit rock bottom, but sober and in his right mind, he thought long and hard and came up with a plan to bail himself out. Verse 17 reads, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father, driven by hunger and need. He decided he'd go home and ask to be made a hired servant. They were always well looked after by his father, and it was a long shot, but what choice had he got? I don't think he was expecting forgiveness of any sort. I think he understood the finality of his choices. Maybe like a lot of people, he thought his sins were too great to forgive, that there was no way back. So he rehearsed his speech. If it succeeded, maybe it would give him a chance at something to eat. He had nothing to lose, so off he went. But as we'll see next, it was a speech that he never got to finish. Verse 20 reads, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And you'll notice now that his well-practiced hired servant speech has gone out the window. Jesus tells us that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. It's possible that it was only when the son was so overwhelmed by the father's love on the road that he genuinely repented. He was now experiencing overwhelming love and forgiveness and the restoration of his place as son. And his father was as full of joy at his return as could be imagined. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now back to the Pharisees and how they would have interpreted the story. The prodigal son or younger son represented anyone considered outside of the law, outside of God's family. People the Jews considered Gentiles and sinners, people that to them had no place in God's kingdom or with the chosen nation of Israel. The father in the story representing God the Father shows undeserved love and mercy to the younger son and welcomes him back into relationship with him. Here was Jesus teaching about redemption for people who would have been seen as outcasts as the laws of the law. This wouldn't go down well. The elder son represents the Jewish leaders and people, and they're furious over this and unable to... After all, aren't they the firstborn, the rightful heirs? Haven't they kept all the rules? They obeyed their father? Furious at this enormous display of their father's love and mercy to someone not only so undeserving, but someone who deserves to be punished for their actions? And we get back to that question in a little bit, because like all of Jesus' parables, this story is also our story. We know as people, God gives us the freedom to turn our back on him. And sadly, we all do. We all sin. It can sometimes look like the prodigal son, but most days it's not a big dramatic descent into wider living like in the story. It can be in small ways, barely noticeable, but always painful to God and always damaging to us. Every time we sin and do things our way, we say to God that we don't trust him. We don't want him in our lives, that our ways are best. And we have that freedom to rebel against him, even though everything good that we have, including our freedom to sin, comes from God. And like the father in the story, God waits for us to return and come to our senses and come back to him. But while the focus of this story is always rightfully on God, and the younger prodigal son is well known to most people, I just want to spend a couple of minutes on the elder brother. Because the elder brother always resonated with me for some reason. And I could never figure it. But in verse 25 it reads, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf. Because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders, that you never gave me even as much as a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So the elder son is outraged. He's absolutely furious. And I used to feel bad for him when I read this story, because, I mean, it looked like he was doing the right thing. There he was in his own words, serving and obeying all these years, serving and obeying. 
John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, obey my commands. Wasn't that exactly what the elder son was doing? I grew up Catholic, so maybe that kind of plays into it a bit, but obeying rules kind of feels a bit second nature to me. And there was always a checklist of do's and don'ts that you had to keep in the hope you were good enough to go to heaven. And it seemed to make sense, especially in the light of verses like John 14, if you love me, obey my commands, and the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Bible seemed full of rules, so you do the right things, and not the wrong things, and hopefully you were good enough to go to heaven. Except it was all very backwards. Keeping rules does not mean we love God. The Pharisees were great at keeping rules. Obedience to God, good as it sounds, doesn't mean we love him. But if we love God, it will always mean obedience. i say that one again. Obedience to God doesn't mean that we love him. But if we love God, it will always mean obedience. We obey because we love him. Not we love him because we obey. And as First John 4.19 says, we love him because he loved us first. It's relationship. And that's the key to this story and to our story. And the father's reply in verse 31, My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. The elder son didn't have that relationship with the father. He was as far away from relationship with the father as the prodigal son was. In the same way, it's completely possible for us to go through the motions and look the part of a Christian obeying rules, doing what we're supposed to, and fooling even ourselves, but not have a relationship with God. So this is a call to go deeper. This is a call to examine ourselves in our hearts and to repent and enter into God's loving arms, to enter back into God's loving heart. Um, that heart that took Jesus to the cross, that Father's heart that sent his Son to die on a cross for a people that hated and rebelled against him, that same heart that bears our transgressions, forgives them, and welcomes us home into loving arms. We need that. And what's more, as Christians, we have it. That is our reality, that God loves us deeply. Now, like the prodigal, sometimes we find ourselves far from home, surrounded by emptiness and death. Sin has consequences. Yet turning from our sin and entering into relationship with God is the absolute best and most loving path he could ever invite us on. Sometimes we're the elder brother living a joyless, judgmental life, devoid of that personal relationship with God, when all we have to do is open our eyes in the morning and start to realize how blessed we are and just spend time with our Father. But every day, no matter what brother we most resemble, whether the wayward younger or the elder who didn't know what he had, or maybe bought, we need to, like the passage says, come to our senses, just like the prodigal did, and make that choice to come back to our Father today. God knows we struggle like both sons, and we do. But he just wants us back. Amen.